What's up, everybody? Matt Kajeski here, back again with the Odd Shopper channel. Today, we're talking some college basketball betting. We're closing out January. It's January the 31st, Wednesday. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live. We are also brought to you by BetMGM, and they have an offer for new users in all legal states except New York, Puerto Rico, and Nevada. What you'll do, click the link in the video description below, make your first deposit of at least $5, then place a $5 wager on any team, market, total, whatever you want. Whether it wins or loses, you will be paid out $158 in the form of bonus bets. You must be at least 21 or older to play in most jurisdictions. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. But this is a limited time offer. I can guarantee you it will only be around for a short period of time. So if you haven't taken advantage of this, you need to. The sports books are giving out money. Take advantage of this. All right. Let's recap yesterday briefly before we get into today's slate. We had a pretty good day overall and started with Marquette. They played extremely well in the first half, gave up a 20-point lead, ended up getting it done down the stretch. Cam Jones missed the game. We talked about this, but we also mentioned that they're pretty deep and they were just going to narrow their rotation. One thing I didn't expect was getting Chase Ross back. He did give them some pretty good minutes. So maybe a little lucky with Chase Ross returning, but ultimately Nova continues to just absolutely plummet down the rankings. So that was a positive win. Also hit the under in the Seton Hall-DePaul game. Hit Ball State. Excuse me, hit Miami, Ohio. Ball State did not hit. And then a couple others that were misses. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, that under did not come in, nor did Syracuse, whom I added late. But luckily that was kind of canceled out by adding Indiana. If you ever want to see the picks that are added late, I just throw those on the end of Twitter in the thread I usually post. But the the thesis for Indiana was they were getting back Kalel Ware, and we didn't know that when the stream was live, so ended up adding that late. And that's the best place to find any extra picks is on Twitter. It's also the best place to reach me. I'm at Matt underscore Jeske. Saw someone asked if they don't have Twitter, where can can you reach me? There's not really a great other place, to be honest. I'm in our Discord, which you should join. But if you're not on Twitter, you're leaving money on the table. One of the best ways, I think, to find edges is just follow Jordan Majeski. He tweets injuries for the most absurd colleges. If you want to know who's in or out for Duquesne, he's he's going to tweet it. So there's money to be made. If you just literally follow the inactives, you can make wagers based upon who's in who's out at the last second and it's extremely profitable so aside from these videos i would recommend doing that it is an easy way to add funds to your bankroll just following inactives but we turn the page to today and we've got a fun slate it's a mixture of mid-majors and high profile matchups we're going to talk about a bunch of them so i'll bring you behind the glass whoops clicked the wrong button here we go all right Still a little rusty on my producer skills, if you can you can tell. We kick things off with Alabama taking on Georgia. This is a fun one. And right now the spread is around five, five and a half. I grabbed five myself. That's in favor of Alabama. A lot of advantages they'll have in this game over Georgia. They're on the road. Again, that's all factored into the line. 
But the biggest injury news in the game is on the Georgia side, where we have a couple players that are at least one that's expected to miss. That's Justin Hill. He plays about 30 minutes per game for this team. So that's a big loss for Georgia. And there was also one comment in the press conference that I kind of want to hone in on. There's an illness going around Georgia. So I would not be surprised to see other players that aren't even mentioned in that press conference miss this game. We just straight up don't know. I think that part is kind of flying under the radar, and it's not a specific player that I can hone in right now. Another reason to go and turn on notifications for Majeski on Twitter. But I don't know that George is going to come into this game at 100%. And you already have a ton of issues with this team matching up against Bama, who's just an offensive juggernaut. This team, fifth in strength of schedule, they rigorously schedule in non-conference. They're seventh in effective height, so they can beat you in a number of ways. Their, their front court's kind of amusing to me. They're extremely foul-prone with like Pringle and Stevenson and all these players they use. But the reason that's not a huge issue with Bama is they're so deep. They use like six front court players. So if one of them gets in foul trouble, which is, it's going to happen. It happens. It's been happening for three years and it's going to happen tonight. You still have bodies to come in even with that happening. So this team's shooting fourth in effective field goal percentage. They're an amazing team. Just flamethrowers from from three mark sears is shooting 44 percent estrada's at 36 which is pretty good and then you have like rylan griffin at 40 percent even some of the big men don't shoot too poorly from three either like sam walters is at 46 percent and they're actually getting really good minutes out of latrell right he's been starting for this team of late 46 percent from three this team can absolutely wreck a game with their shooting and they've done it in the past Better yet, Georgia, they're decent on defense, actually slightly better better metrics overall in comparison to Alabama. But this team is only 74th at defending the three. This is a mismatch. And honestly, Bama's creators and the talent they have in their front court, they're 12th in two-point percentage. That's another avenue to exploit this Georgia team. And then I mentioned the height. Georgia's 42nd in height, but they're only 244th in rebounding. It's not a team that really attacks the glass on either end. And when Alabama misses shots, which is rare, again, they have an amazing effective field goal percentage. This team is 31st in offensive rebounding percentage in the country. So now that we're expecting at least a less than 100% Georgia, and we'll see how bad this gets, I think there's a lot of ways you can attack this Alabama team on the road. Not to mention it's going to be a fast, up-tempo game unless maybe Georgia tries to slow because of some of their personnel issues. But the tide here on the road make a lot of sense to me, and a lot of it is just who's available for Georgia. And we'll get more information on that throughout the day. All right, next game up. We'll go to Penn State taking on Rutgers. Interesting Big Ten matchup, not the best teams here. It's another injury situation. Kanye Clary suffered what looked like, I don't know, a head or facial injury in their last game. He hasn't practiced all this week for Penn State which is a big issue for this team. Coached at a press conference, that's where he leaked this information about Kanye Clary looking doubtful. He also mentioned Nick Kern, and Nick Kern did a post-game press conference. He wasn't exactly clear on what he's dealing with. Said something along the lines of, his issue is something that all basketball players go through, and he's going to be out there, but clearly at less than 100%. The play I like here is under 44 points. The one issue with this is pacing. You have two fast teams. Penn State 39th in adjusted tempo. Rutgers is 149. 
And if you isolate this to conference play, Rutgers has been even faster. This team is 89th in adjusted tempo since conference play started. This is about six weeks ago, a little bit longer at this point. So pacing is a problem. The thing that works in our favor is just offensive efficiency for both of these teams. When you look at how Penn State scores, it's largely through their guards. They're 209th in effective field goal percentage. That's already kind of bad. And then you look and see the player personnel. Clary is their second most efficient player on offense, only behind Ace Baldwin. If he's out of this game, it's just a huge ding to Penn State's offense. They're pretty decent and effective height, 81st. We'll talk about that more in relation to defending Rutgers, who plays a pretty tall lineup themselves. But for what it's worth, Penn State, even with their height, has not been the most effective team scoring inside. This team is outside the top 100 in two-point percentage, and they actually rank 283rd in three-point percentage. So this effective field goal percentage you see here is already pretty bad at 209th, and we're projecting it to be worse. Not to mention, Rutgers is an elite defensive team, 10th in defensive efficiency, and they're playing at home. We talk about home court being baked into a lot of the lines, which it is. But what I'll say about Rutgers home court is it's one of the strongest in the entire country. You can actually quantify this. Going to Rutgers is an absolute nightmare place to play for opponents, and Penn State's going to have to deal with that. On the Rutgers side, this team is an absolute disaster offensively. Disaster. They are 356th in effective field goal percentage. There are only eight teams in the country that have a worse effective field goal percentage than Rutgers. Horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And some of which I think is defensible. Some of it's not. Like, they should have a pretty good front court here with Big Cliff Amaruri, with Moan Mag, with Andre Hyatt. And it just hasn't worked out. And now they're running into, it's not an elite Penn State defense by any means. They're outside the top 100. But that effective height number is what I want to come back to. This team is 81st in effective height. They actually defend the interior somewhat well which is a poor matchup here for Rutgers. Not to mention, like, Rutgers hasn't been able to score inside with these players. You want to isolate interior scoring, they're 350th. Three-point scoring, they're 331st. They try to play inside more. You know, they're 281st in three-point rate. So they're not really a great shooting team, but that works into the strength of Penn State's defense. Not ideal here. You also have some turnover issues with both teams, probably. Penn State 19th in turnovers forced, Rutgers 25th in turnovers forced. That could lead to some hollow possessions for both of these teams. This isn't my favorite bet. I still took it at, I actually took it at 143, so I have a worse number than what you can find right now. And of course, I, I see both 144s and 143s shop this. Go to Odd Shopper. I talk about this almost every video. They're the sponsor of this channel, they're the name of this channel. There's actually a ton of features it has, not just line shopping. That's what I primarily use it for, but market-based approach to help you identify plus EV spots. It gives you access to our Discord. I'm in there. We're talking about sports of all kinds, not just college basketball. It's primarily what I do, but experts for all different sports. We've consolidated everything. It's extremely affordable, $14.95 for a week, $49.95 for a month. No long-term commitments. Check it out. You're going to like what you see, in my opinion. But under in this game will be the official play. Next up, Richmond taking on Fordham. Interesting game here. We're getting pretty greasy right off the bat. I promise we'll talk about some other bigger games at the end. But this contest, you're seeing Richmond minus two. Line movement is moving Fordham's way, which I'm not going to lie. I just flat out do not understand. 
Richmond, they returned to Lonnie Hunt, who's a big player for this team. Since his return, the team is 10-0. Great record, 15-5. Fordham is 9-11, not ideal. And Fordham, they played the 267th strength of schedule. They only have two top 100 wins. One was against North Texas by a point. Another was against St. Bonaventure that was by sixth. Again, Richmond, 138th in strength of schedule. So this run they've been on is extremely impressive now that they got Hunt back in the fold. They've only lost to two teams in the top 150. They've beaten some pretty darn good teams, and they just beat Dayton. They only have one double-digit loss. That was to Florida. And just to sort of hone in on the strength of schedule for this Richmond team, it's extremely impressive. You look at their losses. Boston College by seven. That's a top 100 team. Colorado by five. That team is 26th at Kempom. They had a five-point loss to Northern Iowa. Maybe a little eye-opening, but that team ranks 106th in overall efficiency, according to Ken Palm, and then the Florida loss. They have a mixture of top 100 wins. We're seeing wins against not only Dayton, but George Mason, St. Bonaventure. Those are pretty solid teams. So right away, Richmond stands out just from a scheduling standpoint. But this team has a lot of advantages overall, too. Top 100 players, I guess top 30 players, Ebonmia.com, you can isolate this for the A-10. There's four players inside the top 40 for this Richmond team. Fordham has zero players inside the top 40, zero. And as far as stylistics, Richmond is 53rd in effective height. Fordham is 265th. You look at the rebounding difference, which you can see it on the screen. Fordham does have what looks like an advantage, 131st to Richmond's 288th. But in my opinion, this is just more of a choice that Richmond makes. Stylistically, they don't crash the offensive boards. Their defensive rebounding is actually really good. And part of why Fordham has decent rebounding metrics is they really try to crash the offensive boards. So this is going to be an interesting point in the game. You have a team in Fordham who really wants to get second chance opportunities, but Richmond who's excellent at defensive rebounding. And I mean, it's a double-edged sword for Fordham being good at offensive rebounding as well. They suck at shooting. So they're kind of reliant on getting extra chances off the glass. Effective field goal percentage. Richmond is 92nd. Fordham is 277th. So if you can actually get to the glass on the defensive end for Richmond, neutralize some of these second chances that Fordham relies on, there's a pretty good chance they run away with this game. And then just diving into the shooting stuff. Richmond 61st in three-point percentage. Fordham is 226th at defending the three. Richmond is the number one team in the country at forcing turnovers. Fordham is 343 at committing turnovers. 343. There's only about 20 teams in the entire country that – Turn the ball over more than Fordham. A lot of micro advantages pointing to Richmond. You might honestly just want to wait on this with Fordham taking some money. Again, I flat out don't understand why. Perhaps there's an injury that I'm just not privy to right now, but it doesn't look like it. If anything, Richmond appears as healthy as they've been all season. So we'll back the Spiders and take Richmond with the two points. Next up, UNC Asheville taking on Gardner-Webb. We're we're still we're gonna remain a little greasy here, and we're gonna back another road team. This one's come down a little bit. I took a plus three. It's at plus two and a half right now with UNC Asheville taking on Gardner Webb. Pretty stark difference in talent. Asheville's at fourteen and eight. Gardner Webb is at ten and twelve. And strength of schedule actually favors Gardner Webb. They're one fourteenth in strength of schedule, and Asheville's one fifty ninth. I think there's only really one. Kind of bad loss on the Asheville side. It's Kennesaw, who's outside the top 200. 
they were it was a game that went to OT, so I guess not too concerning. There's a few egregious losses on the Gardner-Webb schedule. Queens, Wofford, Charleston Southern, team we'll talk about later. Both teams look fully healthy, which is solid, but you have six players in the top 40 for UNC Asheville. You have four players in the top 20, and you have the number one player in the conference in Drew Pember. He's getting actually some NBA hype, which is kind of crazy to me, but he's been good. As far as Gardner-Webb, they have five players in the top 40, but they have zero in the top 18. So you don't have a lot of high-end talent for this Gardner-Webb team. And then there's a lot of stylistic advantages. UNC Asheville's direction, this team is 73rd in height. Gardner-Webb plays a tiny lineup. They're 352nd in effective height. So massive advantages there. We should see that on the glass. 236th in rebounding for Asheville, 239th for Gardner-Webb. So it doesn't really come up in the rebounding metrics. But I do think we see this in other parts of the game. For reference, UNC Asheville's 11th at generating fouls. Gardner-Webb is 344th in fouls committed. Being at a massive height disadvantage is not good when you're facing a lineup that's much bigger than you on the other side in Asheville. So we might see some foul issues for Gardner-Webb in this game. I would almost expect it. And I always try to look for these big shooting mismatches, especially with effective field goal percentage. UNC Asheville, 129th. Gardner-Webb is 228th. Asheville's 40th in the country in three-point percentage. Gardner-Webb is 185th in defending the three. You have a lot of good shooters for this Asheville team. And honestly, it's not even Pember, who's their best player in offense. He only shoots 34% from three, but you have players like Josh Banks. He's shooting 41%. Fletcher Abbey, 37%. Even players off the bench like Trent Stepney is shooting 53% from three. It's only on 30 attempts, but it's pretty solid overall metrics with this team. It's a lot of micro advantages. Asheville's way kind of surprised to see this team as a dog. Next up, Big South, I believe. Charleston Southern takes on Radford, and this is one where I think you want to grab this one as soon as you can. Radford's taken a lot of money already. I actually got a minus six and a half somehow, but seeing minus nines, I, I think this goes through 10. I make this beyond 10 myself. Just a vast difference in almost all metrics. You can see it on the screen, so I won't just read them off to you. Radford has extreme advantages in almost every single category in this contest. Far strength of schedule, Charleston Southern's 156, Radford's 220th, but let's not dive into this too much. Charleston Southern, they have six wins. Of their six wins, three of them are against non-D1 competition. I think these are D2 schools, but I don't know who Tacoa Falls is. I don't know who Johnson and Wales is, and I also don't know Kentucky Christian. I'm just going to assume they're not very good, but that's three of the six wins this Charleston Southern team has accrued. They have some injuries. DJ Patrick has missed their last three games. Lewis Hutchinson's only played eight games this year. Bench players Jaden Thompson and Gaddis Heath had been missing time. And Radford's almost the exact opposite. Justin Archer and Daquan Smith missed time this year. They're both back. They played without Chandler Turner, but he's dealing with an, in, an illness. He should be back in this game, which is really important because when you dive into the players, Charleston Southern is no players in the top 45 of this conference. And one of their better players, DJ Patrick's been out. Conversely, you have three players in the top 15 for Radford and six players in the top 36. Effective field goal percentage, Radford 134th. Charleston Southern sits at 310th. So just tons of advantages for Radford, and that makes sense. You can see the spread almost ballooning to double digits already. This could get even worse. You dive into like three-point percentage, Radford 61st in the country, three-point percentage. Charleston Southern 223rd at defending that area of the court. This should be one where Radford runs away with it. The only thing I have hesitation with, it's going to be a slow game. 
So the value of the point is important. I think you want to get this number as soon as you can before this balloons beyond 10. Last one, we'll break down in depth. We'll do a couple extra picks at the end here just quickly. But Rhode Island and LaSalle, this is a game in the A-10, kind of the bottom of the A-10. I sort of like Rhode Island as a buy low, as you guys will find out. They're 9-11. and They've played a relatively difficult schedule, at least in comparison. They're 95th. LaSalle is 208th. LaSalle still has not beaten a team in the top 100. Rhode Island actually has three of those wins, despite coming in with a sub-500 record. Neither of these teams have any players in the top 50 of the conference, so it kind of points to just, we're talking about the bottom of the A-10. LaSalle has three players in the top 100. Rhode Island has five. But this is another one where I think effective field goal percentage tells a lot of the story. LaSalle is 284th. Rhode Island is 81st. Rhode Island does have a massive height advantage and a pretty stark rebounding advantage here as well. They're 80th. LaSalle is 314th. When you look at the effective height, this is another one where I think just matches up perfectly with what we see on the glass. And then as far as Rhode Island goes, they don't get in a ton of foul issues despite largely playing through their front court, which I think is solid here. They're 124th in two-point percentage. LaSalle 155th defending that. Fouls, if they're not going to be an issue, I think that's a matchup they can definitely exploit. LaSalle tries to win through three-point shooting. They're 86th in three-point rate. They don't shoot it very well, though, 164th in three-point percentage. Rhode Island's actually significantly better in this category, 44th in three-point percentage. So there's a lot of advantages here, I think, that point to Rhode Island. The only issue Rhode Island really faces, aside from fouling at times, is they can turn the ball over. They're 288th and turnovers committed. Luckily, LaSalle doesn't generate very many turnovers whatsoever. 243 in turnovers forced. So as long as they can stay out of foul trouble, which again, LaSalle doesn't generate a lot. As long as Rhode Island doesn't turn it over again, LaSalle doesn't generate a lot of turnovers. This should be a fairly clean game for Rhode Island in this spot. They have more talent and they're the much better shooting team in this conference. All right, couple little throwaway games to discuss briefly. Some I might add later. Again, go to Twitter if you'd like to find extra ones. I did play Army against Colgate at plus 14, seeing 13s now. The value of the points are really important in this game because it's going to be so slow. Army's 352nd in pace. Colgate is 277th. So that was the main thing here. You just have, it's a lot of points for a game that has a total of 129 and a half. If you can find a 14, I think it's playable. 13, I'm a little less interested in. Both these teams really struggle to score. Colgate, they shoot a lot of threes, but they're not doing as well as they have in previous years when we saw them in the tournament. Army's just absolutely putrid at shooting the ball. They'll shoot a lot of threes themselves, rarely hitting them, but that's at least worth mentioning. And then the last one I'm debating taking right now until we get some injury updates is Florida versus Kentucky. This game is going to be extremely fun, incredible tempo. The total is in the 170s. It's at 171.5. But metrics for these teams, Florida's 12th in offensive efficiency, Kentucky's 10th. Defensive efficiency, Florida's 97th, Kentucky's 88th. So you can see right away these teams match up well. Height-wise, Florida's 4th, Kentucky's 29th. So you can actually play with the front court of Kentucky, which is super deep at this point. With Ivasich in the in the fold now, Bradshaw, Agneso, Florida actually has the bodies to sort of combat that a little bit. My main concerns are Florida playing away from home. Florida has not done a great job stepping up in competition this year. Kentucky's biggest concerns are on defense. We've seen them just hemorrhage points against teams. 
that we wouldn't exactly expect them to. But some of their losses have aged pretty well, like South Carolina knocking off Tennessee. I think some people sort of discounted that loss at first. But South Carolina might be ranked at the end of this week, depending on how things shake out. So some of the losses Kentucky's taken and the points they have allowed are a little more defensible than maybe we thought they were at the time. That's my major hesitation. If you can find like a lagging six and a half, I think that's worth playing. But we're going to wait throughout the day, see what we can find on Kentucky. They also didn't have Dillingham in their last game. He's expected back, which would be a boost. That'll do it for us today. Thank you guys for watching. If you have any comments, please leave them below. I've been checking them more often than usual. And reach out on Twitter, of course. I'm at Matt underscore Kajeski. Good luck, everyone. We'll see you again tomorrow for a couple more bets. Until then, good luck.